What made you want to be a Marine rather than any of the other service branches? <laughs> well, Marines were the toughest. <laughs> and um, I wanted the toughest. That's just who I am. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. That's Amy McGrath. She spent more than two decades in the Marines, where she flew 89 combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now she's back in Kentucky and running for Senate against Mitch McConnell, a man who's been in the Senate since she was a kid and who she wrote to back when she was a teenager. I saw this History Channel documentary and there these aircraft jets flying on the backs of aircraft carriers. And I basically looked at that and I said, that is cool. That's what I want to do with my life. But I learned very quickly there were no women doing these jobs. There was a federal law prohibiting women from doing this thing. And that's when I had to learn about government. I wrote my members of Congress. I wrote my Senator Mitch McConnell. Of course, he never wrote back, but I didn't quit. Amy went on to serve on the front lines, both in combat and as a woman in a heavily male-dominated organization at a time of change. Yes, she encountered sexism while enlisted. She says she encountered more sexism in her brief time in politics than she ever did in the military. I mean, look, you can either hit the target or you don't. You can either fly that aircraft onto the back of an aircraft carrier at night or you can't. You know, the antics aside, the performance was really important. And I feel like in the campaign trail, it was different. And I had, you know, reporters ask me, hey, what are you going to do if you get elected to the House of Representatives and you're, you know, you're going to leave the kids for three days a week? How are you going to manage that with three small children and, and husband? And, and I said, I don't know. I'll ask the incumbent because he's got small children the same age as me. And now here's my conversation with Amy McGrath. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Let's talk about the campaign. You ran for House last year in a deep red seat, came up short. Now you're running for Senate against Mitch McConnell, the most powerful man in the Senate. What makes you think you can win this one? (laughs) Well, it's a different race. It's a different cycle. And I'm running against somebody who's completely different Um, in the sense, you know, Mitch McConnell is not well liked. Um, Many Kentuckians feel that he has left them behind, that he is a part of the D.C. sort of swamp, the Mm -hmm. system that has left so many Kentuckians behind that is really dysfunctional. It's just a different race because you're running against somebody who really has a lot of negatives and hasn't has been in power for so long. And for so many people, they feel like, you know, he's left us behind. So I think that's what makes this different. So McConnell has the reputation as being a pretty cutthroat political operative, and his team certainly uh, operates in that way. You didn't have to run for Senate. Why did you want to? And did you prepare, as you said, a different race, different right. candidate? But I mean, they're they're not going to hesitate to go for the jugular if they feel like they need to. Well, you know, if you take a step back, I never thought I would be running for office just four or five years ago. I had this lifelong dream to be a fighter pilot, Mm -hmm. to serve my country. I did that. Um, I served in the military for 24 years. And, you know, my husband, who is a retired Navy pilot, lifelong Republican, Mm -hmm. you know, we weren't super political um, in that sense. But I think like a lot of Americans, you know, a few years ago, we we looked at each other, my husband and I, and we we basically said, our country needs better leaders and we need them now. And so for me, I look at this as as a form of public service. All right. I mean, I serve my country. That's that's how I've defined my life. This is service in another way. 
It's I took the uniform off, but I'm still serving my country here. So your decision to get into politics was a reaction to Trump. Um, it sounds like when he was elected and running. I think it was a reaction to the entire 2016 political cycle for president. Mm-hmm. You know, the labeling of each other, the fake news, the divisiveness, the idea of, of labeling everybody on the other side as they're all communist or they're all fascist or it's just not who we are. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, I, my husband is a lifelong Republican. I'm a Democrat, but I was an independent for 12 years. You know, I I was in the United States Marine Corps. That's not exactly left-leading organization. Right. And I was very successful there. And I feel like we're Americans first and we need to get back to that. And so that was the reaction that I had to run for office was really because of that. So Trump won Kentucky by 30 points last time. You're going to have to find those Trump-McGrath voters, kind of what you're talking about, bridging that divide of some Republicans, independents who are going to be willing to vote for you that might still vote for the president. Yeah. How do you attract them? How does that happen? Yeah. Well, it, it can happen. So you have to look at why people voted for Trump to begin with. And for so many people, it's because there is a dysfunctional system. The system is not working for them. And they, they frankly don't like both political parties. And, you know, McConnell's the head or one of the heads of, of the, one of these parties. And so when you looked at for, for voters, when they when they vote, cast a vote for Donald Trump, he said a lot of big things. He said, we're going to do big things on infrastructure. He said, I'm going to take it to the uh, pharmaceutical industries and I'm going to bring down drug prices. Right. He said he was going to fix health care. He said all of these things. And for a lot of those things, they haven't gotten done actually because of Mitch McConnell. So there's a way there to show people, hey, a lot of the reasons you voted for Trump, drain the swamp. Folks, you can't drain the swamp until you get rid of Mitch McConnell. Hello. You know, so that's the case I'm going to be making. And do you think truly, because it sounds like what you're saying is get rid of Mitch McConnell and I can work with the president if Trump is reelected on these issues? Absolutely. So the president has talked about prescription drug prices, for example, and he's actually said a few fairly bipartisan measured things like, hey, let's reimport drugs across the border from Canada. Hey, let's let's have Medicare renegotiate prices. Who stops all that? Mitch McConnell does, folks. Why? Because he gets the most money from Big Pharma than any other member of Congress, at least in the, in the last cycle. So it's not rocket science. If we want some of these bipartisan things that, that President Trump could actually go for, you know, you got to get you got to get the stopper out of it. And the stopper is Mitch McConnell. One of the things I wanted to ask you about and a lot of the women who are running um, that we talk about is the decision to run and then Oftentimes when women lose, they, the percentages are much higher that they won't run again. Was that something you struggled with at all? Right. Well, first of all, you don't always win a game that you've never played before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I was running in Kentucky as a pretty, pretty, um, red district that I ran in. I came very close and I'm really proud of that. And we learned a lot from that. I learned a lot mm-hmm. from that experience. The name recognition is up higher. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a lot of momentum, you know, um, and I had people who came up to me and said, I registered to vote and, voted for the first time in my life to vote for you. And they were 55 years old. That's the kind of momentum that we had. And even though you didn't actually win, you lost by a couple points, it doesn't mean that you should stop. It means that you're, you're, you're on the right track. And so for me, I felt like, you know, this is the right time. This is the right race. And I, I need to do this for my country and for Kentucky. And you talked about earlier about um, Mitch McConnell being ruthless mm-hmm. and you know, believe me, I thought about that when I decided to jump in this. But you know what? I have lost friends in combat. 
they're not here and I'm here. And I feel like I need to have the courage to do this. No matter what he throws at me, no matter what he makes up, we got to do it. So I want to talk more about the Senate race, but first, let's take a step back and talk about the thing that first sparked your interest in politics. It's 1987, set the scene, you're 12, (laughs) and you had seen a documentary on TV that caused you to write some letters to Congress. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Okay, so um, I saw this History Channel documentary, and there were these aircraft jets flying on the backs of aircraft carriers, and I basically looked at that and I said, that is cool. That's what I want to do with my life. And um, like any 12, 13-year-old, when you find something that you're really interested in, what do you do? Well, today you probably go on the internet. But back then, (laughs) I went to the library. And I looked up everything you could possibly imagine. I memorized all the aircraft carriers and everything. But I learned very quickly there were no women doing these jobs. And then I had to figure out, well, why? Well, I learned that there was a federal law Mm -hmm. prohibiting women from doing this thing. And that's when I had to learn about government. Because I had to learn how do you change a law. I went to my mom. I was like, hey, it's a law. How hard can it be? Let's just change it. And she was the one who had to describe to me, well, there's Congress and the president. And you can't change the law, but you can advocate for change. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I wrote my members of Congress. I wrote my senators. My member of Congress was a pretty conservative guy who wrote me back a fairly interesting letter that basically said, I'm not going to fight for you. You're a girl. You can do something else. I wrote my Senator Mitch McConnell. Of course, he never wrote back, but I didn't quit. I wrote every member of the Senate and House Armed Services Committees a letter, and I got many letters back. Some were just like Jim Bunnings, my congressman. Mm -hmm. Go do something else. I'm not going to fight for this. Women shouldn't be doing these jobs. Uh, Some were, hey, our military exists to fight and win the nation's wars, and we should have the best people in these positions. And I'm going to fight to give you the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if you're good enough to qualify... You should be able to get that job. And that was my first understanding of politics, <laughs> because it seemed quite clearly that one side was saying, nope, no change. We're afraid of change. Go, you're, you know, you're a woman. Stay in your place. And then the other side was saying, you know, I'm not going to give you this job because you're a woman, but you should be able to qualify. And if mm-hmm. you're good enough, you should be able to get in there. And that was my first understanding. I didn't understand. I remember going back to my mom and saying, mom, why, why would this one side not want to give me the opportunity. If I'm good enough, mom, I can do this. I didn't understand it. And that was the first understanding of politics for me. You didn't come from a military family. Your dad was a high school teacher. Your mom was a psychiatrist. What was it about being a military pilot in particular that appealed to you? Well, I was a bit of a tomboy and I was beating all the guys in uh, sports at the time. And I was very aggressive and I just loved the military and I was very patriotic. I mean, my, in Kentucky, Kentucky is full of patriotic Americans. And this is how I grew up. They valued community. They valued service to community, to state, to country. And I believed that and I still believe that. And so I wanted to serve my country and I wanted to do it in the toughest way that I possibly could. In preparing for this interview, we read a piece about your mom, who's led this sort of remarkable life, overcoming both sexism and obstacles to disability. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Um, My mother is my inspiration. And almost everything that I have done in my life, I look back and I say, it was mom who helped me 
to do that, whether inspired me or got me through it. My my mother is a polio survivor. She um, uh, was afflicted at the age of 10, uh, lost the use of her left leg. Uh, that never held her back. Uh, she went and uh, went to medical school, was one of the first women to graduate from the University of Kentucky Medical School in the 1960s, and went on to have a very distinguished career as both a pediatrician and psychiatrist. She's somebody who, you know, whenever I was feeling like, hey, this is an obstacle I can't overcome, mm. my mother was somebody who would say to me, yeah, you can. And it meant something because she had done it. She had overcome so many obstacles. So for me, the obstacles that I faced didn't seem so great. You went to the Naval Academy shortly after the rules were changed to allow women to be fighter pilots. What was it like to be inside of a changing institution like that? Um, when I went in... I I knew that I had a, a little bit of weight on my shoulders. I mean, the doors were just opening right at the right time. And I got lucky because in 1993, when I left Kentucky and went into the U.S. Naval Academy, the doors had just opened. We had a new president. We had a new Congress. They repealed what was called the Combat Exclusion Law. And um, the Secretary of Defense opened up the, all these doors. But there was a lot of worry. Are women going to be able to do this? Are they going to fall flat on their face? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, are the jets going to turn pink? I don't know. I mean, but th there was a lot of worry. But you know what we found over time is that women can do these jobs. We do them pretty well. And that the culture actually changes in the military. I saw a distinct culture change over 20 years mm -hmm. um, in a good way. So. Did you did you face sexism? I mean, so many women who've been in the military in the time that you're talking about have spoken out about it, have had, you know, military sex assault is something that's come up a lot on Capitol Hill over the last you know decade or so. Yeah. W was that something you faced? Sure. I mean, look, you know that you, what you're getting into. And I did. It didn't stop me because I knew what I was getting into. And I I I don't want to say I embraced it. But I worked with that. I knew I was a minority. I knew I was going to be one of the only women in my fighter squadron. I knew there was going to be jokes and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I cared so much about flying and performing that I just did my job and I didn't let it get to me. But I will say that culture does change when you get women in positions of power. So in my first squadron, there was all kinds of antics. And there wasn't much I could do about it, frankly. And because I was a first lieutenant, I was the most junior. Had I stood up on the on the desk and said, hey, this is sexism, guess what? I've been drummed out of that squadron. And I and that's not what I wanted. So I just took it. Now, later on, when I came back for my second tour, none of that stuff happened to anywhere near the extent that it happened when I was a junior officer. Why? Well, one, because you had more women who were senior officers, and two, you had more women in general. And so that that culture was gone. And guess what? The bomb still hit the target on time, and we still did a good job without all of those antics and without all that stuff. And I tell you, I really think that um, having women helps in terms of diversity because when you have men, it's, sometimes it's a toxic culture, mm -hmm. and, and we really see that. When there's nobody of diversity who can step up and, and sort of, you know, be there in a position of power. When you were joining the Marines, what made you want to be a Marine rather than any of the other service branches? <laughs> well, Marines were the toughest. <laughs> and um, I wanted the toughest. That's just who I am. How did your parents react to you deciding to become a Marine pilot? I think my parents reacted the same way that they reacted to me wanting to go to the Naval Academy, which was, um, we're behind you. 
I think sometimes at first they wanted me to sort of grow out of, of this idea of the military, but I mean, but it started then, at 12. Most of us right, wanted to do right. things that we, you know, we didn't eventually become <laughs> our professions. Right. But then, you know, when I was in my 20s, I'm, they're starting to realize maybe she's not going to grow <laughs> out of this. And then in my 30s. And, and so I think they, they were very proud of me, you know, by, by certainly throughout my career, all of the, the things that I've done and then the combat tours, you know, I know that we were hard on my parents, but I think they were super proud of me too. At the time of your enlistment, it was peacetime. This was before 9-11. America has then plunged into war. You served in combat in Afghanistan and later Iraq. How did that experience change you? How much time do you have? <laughs> um, well, I was very proud to serve my country, and I was I was very happy to be on what we call the tip of the spear. I mean, that was what I wanted. That's what I trained for. That's what Uncle Sam paid me for. And I wanted that responsibility. The combat tours, um, particularly the Iraq tour, was um, difficult. I'm, I'm, I did my job. I did it well. All of the members of my squadron, by the way, did their jobs and did them very professionally and very well. And I'm very proud of that. But I think when we came home, you know, learning about the war, the start of the war, the reasons for the war really impacted me, you know, because here I am, I'm the one, you know, we drop bombs, a lot of them. And, you know, I feel like um, we never really looked as a country as to how did we go to a war like this under a lie. And that really impacted me in, in such a way that I felt like, all right, we need to make sure that this thing doesn't happen again in the way that it happened. Um, and I'm not sure we're there yet. I'm not sure we've ever looked at that as a country. We just sort of, you know, pushed it under the table. But I've, I've felt like, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've, I've lost friends in combat and, and it could have easily been me, right? And aviation mishaps happen all the time. And I have a responsibility to try to make a difference. I'm here. You were the first woman in the Marine Corps to fly a combat mission in an F-18. You flew 89 combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Neither of those countries are particularly known for promoting women's rights. Right. Afghanistan especially. Did that weigh on you at all while you were there? Did you think about that? Well, the first, I did two tours in Afghanistan. In the first tour, I really felt like that was 2002, so right after 9-11. I felt like we were helping the women of Afghanistan, so I really at that time felt like I was doing the right thing. Iraq, of course, is a little bit different, uh, more complicated. Um, not sure that we really helped um, the women there um, very much. And then my second tour in Afghanistan, I wasn't too sure because we were now in a situation where we were just trying to stabilize the country such that um, we don't want foreign fighters to attack us from. Mm -hmm. And so it's very complex. We've been there a long time. But yeah, I mean, it was it's still an important issue for me. I'm I want to promote women's rights around the world. And, you know, I think that's something that America should stand for. All right. I want to change back to the campaign here before we let you go. Um, in an interview over the summer, you said you've encountered more sexism on the campaign trail yeah. than you did during your entire 20 years in the Marines. Can you describe that for us? Well, I would say that one of the things that I loved about the military was that although there were antics at times, it was in my experience, a lot about performance. And I loved that about being a Marine. I mean, look, you can either hit the target or you don't. You can either fly that aircraft onto the back of an aircraft carrier at night or you can't. And so performance mattered more than anything. 
You know, the antics aside, the performance was really important. And I feel like in the campaign trail, it was different. You know, I had people who came up to me and said, well, you know, I like you, but I just can't vote for you because, you know, you should be home with the kids. And I had, you know, reporters ask me, hey, what are you going to do if you get elected to the House of Representatives and you're, you know, you're going to leave the kids for three days a week? How are you going to manage that with three small children and, and husband? And, and I said, I don't know. I'll ask the incumbent because he's got small children the same age as me. Those are the types of things you, you get on the campaign trail a lot, being a woman. I can't speak for everybody, but I didn't see that as much in the military. I felt like mm -hmm. you were based, your performance was number one. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things I really loved about it. Do you feel you had to kind of figure out how to put on that facade, though? I mean, like, I mean, particularly as a woman, it's how you look, how you act. Sure. Right? Especially in the South, you know, I mean, there's a lot of cultural stereotypes that there's the reasons why they're there. I think you do to some extent, but not too much because you lose yourself. Look, I'm a tomboy. I'm still a tomboy. I like hiking. I like my blue jeans. I like to, to play sports. I'm out there in the front yard with my kids throwing football almost every day. Um, so I'm not going to turn into somebody who, you know, loves fashion and wears high heels overnight. And if that's what we need, then it ain't going to be me. I think I can adapt a little bit. I'm a Marine. I can adapt to lots of different things. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to have my sister help me with wardrobe the first time that I, you know, <laughs> got out of the Marine Corps. Look, I'd worn a, a uniform for 20 some years and then I went to Catholic schools before that. So gosh, it was probably 30 <laughs> years I <laughs> really was told what to wear. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I reach out to people I love, like my sister, who's very fashionable and, you know, and helps me out. But I'm not going to go too far. Right. You know, I'm not going to try to be somebody I'm not. Your Senate campaign got off to a very hot start, raising $2.5 million on your first day. Uh, a lot of Democrats around the country and, and in Kentucky were eager to take Mitch McConnell down. At the same time, you're not really part of the resistance, kind of quote unquote. How do you see yourself within the broader Democratic Party? You know, I, I don't look at myself as somebody who is super partisan, I was an independent for, for many years. I'm somebody that believes in reasonable, pragmatic solutions. I was a military officer, right? I don't like to, to talk about things that are just theories. I want to actually see practical solutions for things. I'm somebody that believes in free trade. I believe we ought to have a strong military. You know, I believe that we have a place in the world, a leadership role in the world. Um, at the same time, I believe that people should have equal rights, Women should have equal rights. So, I mean, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle, but I'm, I want to be a voice of reason for the Democratic Party uh, because I believe that's where most, uh, certainly where most Kentuckians are at. And I think that's where most Americans are at. It's one of the biggest issues right now uh, Congress is dealing with both the Senate and the House is whether or not to impeach the president. Knowing what you know now, do you support an impeachment investigation into President Trump? Well, I've come out publicly and I've said um, that we absolutely need an investigation into these allegations, which are very, very serious. And they're serious because of the national security implications. This isn't just a phone call. The potential here for our, our commander in chief to have held up, potentially have held up security assistance, which is really a national, our national security and our national security. Uh, interest to um, a foreign country in exchange for some political motive uh, or personal motive is really appalling. And so I think we need to get to the bottom of this. I've said that very publicly. And um, I believe that what the House is doing is 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 the right thing to do right now. But would you support impeachment at this point? Well, I think we need to get to the bottom of this. 
Um, and I think that's what that's really what the House is doing. And let's find all the facts. Do you have a red line of, of this would be the thing, the tipping point for you? You know, I I think what's alleged here is very serious. And let's get all the facts. Um, I believe very deeply that the president needs to make sure or needs to um, release the information that the House is asking for. You know, we have two co-equal branches of government. If one side isn't abiding by the Constitution, we have a real breakdown. And the problem I have with Mitch McConnell right now is that he's got to do his job. His job is to run that Senate as a co-equal branch. And, you know, if there is an impeachment, he needs to do his job and have a fair trial on this. And I I worry that he's not going to be able to do that because he's already raising money on saying that he will stop everything. I mean, that's not doing your job. That's playing political games. And that's that's the problem I have. All right. Well, Amy McGrath, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. Women Rule is produced by Zach Stanton. The show is made in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866.